Hi, goalies. The episode you're about to listen to deals with racial violence in Atlanta 40 years ago. We would be remiss if we did not address the racial violence plaguing our country today. Last week, George Floyd, yet another innocent and unarmed black man, was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota. George Floyd is, unfortunately, as we know, one of far too many black people killed by police, and his death, along with other recent slayings of innocent black men and women, has rightfully sparked national outrage. Book Squad Goals stands with the Black Lives Matter movement. Now is the time for action. We have included in our show notes links to organizations you can donate to, petitions you can sign, and officials you can call to demand justice and help fight against systemic racism in America. To our Black listeners, we hear you. We see you. We support you. We stand with you. We will fight for you. Thank you for listening. I hope you weren't having too good of a day because if you were, we might ruin it now. (laughs) Time to bring it down. It's about to get dark. Dark squad goals. Okay. (laughs) We we can't laugh. This episode's not funny. (laughs) I'm only laughing because I've had a white claw and a half (laughs) to cope. So the laughter is not about the subject matter. It's just because the world kind of sucks yeah yeah and then we were like let's watch something really depressing and talk about it (laughs) for sure this the thing we're going to talk about is just one example of how the world sucks it's a big one Mm -hmm. but if you don't laugh or have a couple white claws or i don't know take a lot of naps or do something drink a lot of wine it's too much it's too much (laughs) do a little dance make a little love get down tonight get down tonight yes but before you do all of that, you should watch Atlanta's Missing and Murdered, The Lost Children, which is what we're talking about today. After we talk about that, we're going to have an interview with Mary Kay McBrayer talking about her book, America's First Female Serial Killer, Jane Toppin and the Making of a Monster. So it's a lot of, a lot of murder uh-huh. today. Um, at least uh, with Mary Kay, there's going to be some more uh happy talk than happy what murder. we're about to do yeah versus sad murder i take responsibility <laughs> for this this was my pick <laughs> i mean Sorry. it it you know it seemed like the best it's, option it's a very had. look it's a it very fit. important documentary yeah. i think and it's very well done so i don't want to sit here good. and say like i'm it sorry is. we watched it i'm glad we watched it it was i'm heavy. not sorry i watched yeah. it i'm just sorry if uh, it brings you down. Although it should bring you down because, like, it. That's kind of the. You point. need to know about yeah. it. I'm okay. sorry that it exists. Is yeah. because I'm sorry. That yeah, this I'm sorry happened. that this had to happen in the first place for us to even talk about it. Okay. That said, um, content warning: murder, harm to children, racial violence. Uh, I don't know if that even covers it, but stuff along those lines. Yeah. And also, we're going to spoil it. Yeah. But these are real events that happen, so uh, 
if you don't already know about them, then it's not really our fault that we spoiled it. All right. Um, this is a true crime docu-series on HBO. And so the intro question is, what's your favorite true crime documentary or docu-series? Let's talk about some other dark crimes, too, oh, just so boy. that it's not all this one. I'm ready. I didn't, I, I didn't think about this ahead of time. <laughs> Go ahead, Mary. It's Mommy Dead and Dearest. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Oh, man, that is and a good one. And I also love the TV show that's based on it, The Act. Mm-hmm. It's just such an insane case that no matter, like, even watching the fictionalized version, I was thinking, I don't know that this is quite as insane as the real life version. <laughs> I mean, it's just, like, such a wild case. Yeah. Also really Tickled. Good. Oh, yeah, that was What weird. is Tickled? Tickled is oh, about yeah, I've heard of that. an underground tickling ring. There a, a homophobic f- underground tickling homophobic ring. Homophobic underground tickling ring. <laughs> it's just an interesting twist For that you're someone, not expecting. And they don't know who, and the documentary uh, filmmaker is going to get to the bottom of it. Someone is commissioning young men to video themselves tickling other young men while no homo, like though. wrestling no singlets. Homo. But it's not a gay This thing, is an episode of The Dollop that I've heard, but I've, I did not know this documentary existed. I think it's on Hulu it's right now if you want to watch it. a plot line that was stolen for season four of Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> oh of course God. it was. Wow. Oh, I'm wow. not proud of it, but I was very pleased. <laughs> you were like, wait a second, I know this You were story. like, I was into tickling rings before it was cool, so. <laughs> <laughs> I 100%. I, Emily, did you watch it? Yeah, we like, watched it. I feel it. like we rented yeah, it. Yeah, we did. I was very, like, on board to watch it, like, as soon as it was available. And I think I texted you, like, hey, it's out. Let's watch it. <laughs> you should now listen to the episode of The Dollop about it. Okay. It's one of their earlier ones. And then I'll watch it. Okay, cool. And we'll talk about it. We can reconvene. Because listening to one of them learn the story as the other one is telling it is great. (laughs) It's wild. (laughs) There's a lot of like, wait, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Anyone else? You know, it's it's a tough one for me because I watch a lot of those. And so every time I think of one that I want to pick, I think of like another one that I'm also like... But that one's really good, too. I think one of the ones that – and now I can't think of the name of the um, the documentary because I keep thinking about the name of the book. So, Susan, you can help me out. Um, the book is Bad Blood. What is the name of the documentary? Um, the Inventor. Yes, The Inventor. Um, I wasn't that big of a fan of the book. And I don't know if that's because I saw the documentary first – but um, I, I, found, I, f- I found it fascinating, and maybe it's fascinating for the length of, like, one documentary movie and not, like, a full book. But if you want to read more about that, let's plug Susan's blog right here. <laughs> there you go. Where I talk about every piece of media that covers <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> I just, you know, I just love a good scam. Um, I find her really interesting. I'm very fascinated by the way that she uh, makes her voice really deep. And I've, like, watched several YouTube videos, like, comparing, like, her normal voice versus her deep voice. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. Uh, the Firefest documentaries were a close second in my brain. 
But I, I yeah, couldn't I couldn't great. decide which one because I kind of like watched them back to back. Mm-hmm. So they kind of well, merge yeah. together. You can read a blog that Mary and I wrote about yes, that to compare so them if you need to. We'll just we'll put all the links in the show notes to this stuff. <laughs> just plug so all the just, blogs I've ever written. This is just they're all about crimes. plugging our <laughs> blog. This whole podcast. So there you go. That's me. That's Emily. This is Kelly. I am uh, not the biggest true crime person, um, so I, I haven't watched a lot of things. I do tend to lean towards more, like, scammy things and enjoy that a little bit more. Just because, like, for me, especially serial killers, I tend to find, re- like, boring. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just, to me, it's like, okay, like, they killed another... Like, it's... I don't know. Like, the whole... Like, um, what's it called? The book that we read. Uh, I'll be going in the dark. Yeah. That was, like, super boring to me. Like, the Golden State Killer could not be more boring. Um, just because, I don't know, like, I, I don't get what is interesting about serial killers. However, (laughs) um, (laughs) so, like, and so much of true crime stuff seems to be centered around serial killers. Um, and I just kind of, like, don't. I'm not drawn to it. Um, But something that I did enjoy was the Amanda Knox documentary that came out a couple years ago. Yeah, Um, that was a good one. It was good. It was on Netflix. um, Because they had, you know, they had, like, a lot of interviews, like, with her. um, And it was just, like, it was well made. And I I find that case pretty interesting. Um, And terrifying. And terrifying, for sure. Uh, and just weird. Just really weird. So, yeah. I thought I thought that was good. I mean, I liked Making a Murderer, too. I could uh, not. Mm-mm. It got to be <laughs> too much. I could not with animal abuse. As soon as that came up in the first episode, I was like, nope. Just fry him. I don't oh. care. I don't even remember that happening, because it was like... I guess it happened in the first episode, but it wasn't really brought up again. Yeah. I was more um, interested, not in, like, the the main guy who got accused, but of his, uh, I guess it was his nephew. It's been such a long time since I watched that. Um, But this, like, young kid who obviously was just, like, taken advantage of um, and completely manipulated by... uh, the legal system. So he just yeah. wanted to watch his wrestling shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor kid. He's out now though. So yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert on true crime at all. So I'm kind of like, I defer to y'all. <laughs> okay. Hey, this is Susan. Um, I do enjoy serial killer stuff. Um, more than Kelly does. I thought I'll be gone in the drug was really interesting. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I feel like I also I'm love the scams, weird ones though, not so it. it's it's not all killers that I love, <laughs> um, and I don't love the killers themselves. To be clear, um, you're one of those people who has like a Ted Bundy poster up on your wall. Oh my god, yeah. no, I'm not, and don't make people think that. No, no, I'm just too. <laughs> um, I tend to like stories that really dig into the the case and the trial surrounding the crime and so i am going to bring up an older documentary okay there's a dog underneath me good lord but what dog (laughs) 
It is. It's Riz. Hi. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you it was. Um, You're like, oh, who is it? But um, this is also on HBO. I'm not sure if it was originally an HBO film, but um, it's the Paradise Lost documentaries about the West Memphis Three. Mm. Um, they are long and exhaustive, but if you, I like. I like stuff like that that really goes, like, way into a story. So, those. Yeah. Can I can I do a third place one? Yeah. The O.J. Simpson documentary that came out recently yeah. was really good as well, kind of for that same reason. Because uh, that trial, speaking of interesting trials, like... Black Wild. That trial was, like, primetime television, whatever. But, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well... Speaking of miscarriages of justice, like in the West Memphis Three, um, let's talk about Atlanta's Missing and Murdered, The Lost Children. Um, This is kind of a long summary, but I want to read the whole thing because we can't, like, summarize this whole case very well. And I think this at least covers it. So... Atlanta's Missing and Murdered, The Lost Children, is a five-part documentary series offering an unprecedented look at the abduction and murder of at least 30 African-American children and young adults in Atlanta between 1979 and 1981. Forty years later, with the official reopening of the case by Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, the series tells the inside story of this shocking tragedy, shedding new light on the horrific killings through exclusive archival material as well as interviews with those closest to the children and the investigation. The series tracks the story from the initial disappearance and discovery of two murdered teenage boys to the fear that progressively gripped the city, ultimately building to the indictment and prosecution of 23-year-old Wayne Williams, who was found guilty of murdering two adults while also being linked to the murders of 10 children. Days after Williams was sentenced to two life terms, most of the children's cases were closed and attributed to Williams without ever going to trial. Further, it details the rush to officially shut down the case and the continuing deluge of questions that remain unanswered, including how the victim's family members, along with many others in the Atlanta community, remain skeptical of Williams' guilt. The documentary series also points to alternate suspects and details the biases and unexplored leads that may have tainted the original investigation. So, um, first of all, just how familiar were all of you with this case prior to watching this? Um, and if you weren't that familiar, why didn't you know about it? Cause I, I actually learned a lot from this. Um, so I knew of it and I knew that I forgot which podcast did a season about this. I think the guy that did up and vanished. Yeah. is the one that, so <laughs> and Atlanta monster. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I know, mm-hmm. I know Tyari Jones also wrote a book about it. And so, And I started listening to it, but I was being too ambitious. I got too many books to read right now. I didn't get to finish it yet. But it was one of those things where I was like, I know that there's stuff out there about it. And I'm interested, especially because I've spent a lot of time in Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta. Um, But it was just one of those things where it's like, you got to kind of have to be in the right mood to talk about child murders or read about child murders. Um, And so it just hadn't come up yet. So even though I was aware of the case and I was aware that there was stuff out there about it, I hadn't like, hadn't read any of it yet or listened to any of it yet. I honestly, so like I 
Emily and I both grew up in Georgia, and I never heard about it, like, growing up. Yeah, same. Never heard anybody. I mean, this happened before we were born, did, but still. It did. <laughs> like, still. Like, it, it did, but also, seemed... it's so many people. Yes. So, so like, you'd people. think. Yeah. But I did, so, like, uh, I don't know, I don't remember when it came out, but, like, last year, this year, whenever, what it, what are years now? What's time? <laughs> uh, when the second season of Mindhunter came out, uh, it deals pretty heavily with this case, and especially the FBI's involvement in this case. And after watching Mindhunter, I did do a little Wikipedia reading. Like, oh my gosh, like 30 kids went missing and I never heard of this Mm -hmm. in my state? Yeah, you would think that that would be something that you would hear about if you were a child and this had happened to a bunch of children. Like, I don't know, however much, however long before you. Well, and I wonder too, like, because they were all you know, African-American children, if, like, white kids just didn't get told about it because, like, white parents weren't worried about it, you know. Exactly. White kids, and especially in, uh, like, I grew up in a really rural place that's probably, like, two and a half hours from Atlanta. So, like, people still have that mentality of, like, that's not us. Yeah. Atlanta's, like, a different place. Mm -hmm. But in, after reading about the case... And watching Mindhunter, I was really interested in this documentary series. And I was also really not shocked because Mindhunter is obviously fictional and based (laughs) on real events. But, like, I just kept thinking, ooh, they did this case dirt in Mindhunter. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they made the the FBI look really cool. Well, yeah, people who work for the FBI wrote some of that show so yeah (laughs) gross um i have i had never heard of this at all like at all and as i just said like i'm not a true crime person so like i haven't i really only know like the most like famous cases but that being said you would think that this would be one of the most famous cases considering the pure like quantity of victims um it's crazy it's crazy that I've never heard of this. Um and like it makes me mad. <laughs> Much like a lot of this show made me mad. Um not like at the show but at the like events and the way that they unfold. Um it's just like fucking ridiculous that something this monumental could happen and like it I feel like it's one of those things that basically just gets like erased by history and part of it too i think is that like when we talk about true crime like people like to focus on like the serial killers and like all the like the like young white women who get killed by like you know Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff and i think that there's something extra depressing about children being killed where like it it loses that sort of like even though like Obviously, no no crime should have, like, that sensational element, but, like, that is a factor, I think, in what makes certain cases, like Ted Bundy, for example, so popular, is that, like, I don't know, it's it's less fun to talk about or to theorize about or whatever when it's, like, little kids. But then also the, like, element of race, which is, like, a huge reason why it's not talked about. That's what I was going to say. I think, like, most... If you look at the cases that get a lot of attention, most of them are white people. 
White victims, yeah. Um, I think there is a little bit of that, like, and this isn't right, but I think especially um, looking at crimes that happen in cities, there's, to some extent, there there's this sort of um, public belief that, like, oh, well, it's inner city crime. Black people just die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, again, it must be gang like, related. Don't don't like chop that out and quote me on that because like mm. I don't believe that. <laughs> but I think like um that's just kind of the way that a lot of people, especially like people who don't live in cities and who don't really like know anything about being around other people. um who who live like really sheltered lives that's kind of how they look at cities like especially cities like atlanta kind of have a like a reputation for things like that and like i'm saying that as somebody who uh lived there for a really long time so um i don't like that and i think i think that people often associate like crimes like this with like like lower income populations which means they must be doing illegal things and selling mm-hmm. drugs and blah 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 like multiple or times like what were the parents doing yeah like, like there's like a whole section of this about one of the victims whose parent was a prostitute and like this whole thing where like she must have killed him or and or like she didn't give a shit about him anyway so it was her fault that he got and it's just mm-hmm. like so <clears throat> upsetting and like I mean, I think it's also, I think maybe you guys said this while I was, um, while my internet was out, but important to acknowledge that we're all white women and, uh. No, we didn't say it yet. Okay. Yeah. Well, important to acknowledge. <laughs> we, we should, we okay. should just have this We have to give this the disclaimer every episode. Often. We're all white. We're very sorry. There's nothing we can do about it now. Yeah. Um. Uh, we hate ourselves, but, um. <laughs> No, I mean, I... We have the appropriate amount of white guilt right now. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's hard to talk... It's hard to talk about stuff like this, you know, like, as a white person, part of me, most of me is, like, I, I, like, don't... Shouldn't have an opinion, and I should shut the fuck up. But here we are, we're talking about this, so, uh, yeah, just so you know, we have no idea what we're talking about, and... We're white. I mean, there's I can, there's no yeah. way for us to like under ex- understand the experience of growing up black in America, but I think that that's mm-hmm. one reason why this documentary is so important. I mean, I think for me, this like really humanizes the victims of these crimes in a way that makes them feel important to me, even though I had no prior knowledge of this case even though I come from a different background, mm-hmm. everyone can sort of mentally understand that losing someone you care about is tragic. Yeah. I think that, um, and I can't remember who said it, you know, we met a lot of people and especially in the mm-hmm. first episode, I wasn't really like keeping track of everybody. So I apologize for not knowing who to credit the statement to But there's something that someone said in the first episode that I thought was really poignant and kind of, I don't know. And again, like, I don't want to say that every black person experiences the same thing. I don't even want to say that every black person in Atlanta experiences the same thing, experiences the same thing or every inner city black person. But um, what he said essentially was that, you know, um, 
a lot of black people live with this constant anxiety of being being stolen or being right. taken away mm-hmm. because they come from a lineage of people who were stolen. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting way to phrase it and explain it in a way that people who don't have that experience can sort of like understand and maybe not identify with, but at least see like, oh, I can see how um, – how terrible that would be to have that anxiety day in and day out. And I think that that's very, it seems just looking at the news on any given day, just looking at how, I mean, back in Georgia, just like last month, two white guys got, finally got arrested a month later after just like randomly killing a black man who was running in a neighborhood. Um, It just, I think, you can see that anxiety sort of being like reaffirmed, unfortunately, all the time. And I swear this stuff isn't just happening in Georgia, but those are the examples that keep coming up. There are other Um, states with racists. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, I found that like that statement really stuck with me because like, again, like as a white woman, I was like, I never really thought about how um, that kind of inherited trauma Yes. Yeah. I think inherited trauma is a good way to say it. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Well, and that's why it's so ridiculous when, like, white people sometimes say stuff like, oh, well, slavery was so long ago. And it's like, yeah. A, First of all, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Relative to what? Okay. So. Yeah. To but dinosaurs? Like, our, our country <laughs> hasn't been around that long. Exactly. But there are so many clear problems and like really deep seated beliefs and behaviors that are easily traceable to what black people went through during slavery that there's that happens like this. We don't think of stuff like stolen people because we didn't experience that. But Emily, I remember that too. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's that is a really poignant way to say that. And I really wish that I could remember who said that, because I feel like it was a really good point. One thing that's really weird about how much I haven't heard about this case is like it's unclear, first of all, if if all these murders are attributed to one person, but several of them have to be the same person. So there is at least a serial killer Mm -hmm. by definition here but like you hear about serial killer cases even ones with tons of victims like green river killer or something and it's like even when you hear stuff like that if you know any if you consume any true crime media you can know something about who those victims were because you've heard it enough Mm -hmm. like i had never seen a photo of any of those children before yeah and every single time one of them came up i was like oh my god he's so little they were all like, so yeah. cute. Oh, just like they were so little, and I like I kept looking at them and thinking about how you know like these murders happened like forty years ago. Yeah. So I kept looking at them and thinking like, what would that person look like as an adult now? You know. Mm-hmm. And you Which can almost see it because a lot of them look exactly <laughs> like their moms, who are yeah, yeah. <laughs> who are like the most badass people on the planet. But we'll talk about them later. I have a question yes. about yeah. them. Mostly just because I want to talk about how much I love Camille. Oh, my um, God. I fucking I love, love her. 
But like, I think it says a lot about just like how this was, how this whole thing was kind of like swept aside that I, that I had never even like seen a picture of any of them. The only reason I'd even ever seen Wayne Williams face, the guy who may or may not have killed two people, um, is because it's on the cover of the Atlanta Monster podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the image. I didn't know that that was who that was until this documentary started, though, either. So, like, I didn't even know anything about the accused person, which is, I mean, I, we're just going to roll right into the next question, which is about race. But there was a moment where they talked about, like, well, pinning it on Wayne Williams, pinning the rest of the murders on Wayne Williams stopped the racial discussion from happening. Cause if it was a white person that had been doing this, then a race war could have started. Mm-hmm. But if they say, Oh, it's just a black guy killing black people, then we'll just sweep it under the rug, which is, which is what happened. So, and I'm like, well, that's why I've never heard of Wayne Williams either yeah. because they just were like, this guy is almost a sacrifice of the, of the case, mm-hmm. whether or not he killed the two adult people, like it seems kind of wild to pin the rest of the murders on him and then just be like, that's it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane, especially like the further along you get and the more like the more the evidence that was presented against him is sort of like like diluted because it's like, oh, these fibers. Oh, but wait, like actually the. Uh, records that they had of where these fibers were were incorrect and and like each piece of the case that that they used to pin against him just like slowly starts to fall apart and it's like yes it's possible that he did these like at least the two but it's also like any of these other people had just as much evidence against them yeah yeah as him yeah that's when like the extent of the racial motivation behind sweeping it under the rug, like, really came out. I mean, it was obvious from the beginning that there wasn't enough attention paid to it because of racial and socioeconomic factors. But, like, the way that it was – the way that he was prosecuted was, like, oh, my God. Like, we're just going to let that happen? Okay. Like – Right. And, like, the moms who – have been fighting for just someone to pay attention this entire time are like, yeah, we don't think he did that. So yeah, yeah. we're just going to keep. It's pretty, for- it's pretty shocking at when you see the like 40 years later footage when everyone meets up to kind of talk about like reopening this case and everything. And um, someone asks at the front of the room, like how many people here like are 100% mm-hmm. certain that Wayne Williams killed these people, and literally one person raises his hand. One white one dude. White dude one white dude. Hand. Who was, wasn't he involved in the investigation? Yes. Probably. He probably like, has to say, like, a, yeah, I believe well, it. Funny, like, I, like, I'm responsible for putting The other him. white dude who was with him didn't even raise his hand. Yeah. <laughs> he was, like, alone. Yeah, and, like, maybe, like, ten people said that they – maybe, like, twenty people raised their hand for, like, I don't know if he was involved. And then a lot of people raised their hand for, like, I do not believe that he was involved. So, yeah. Queen Camille was, like – over and over. Like, the media would be like, so do you think he killed your son? She's like, I don't think he killed anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. stop asking me this. Yeah. It's like, so again, we are just rolling into the next question because you can't 
we cannot talk about yeah. any of this without talking about race, but, um, the profiling stuff was really interesting to me too. Um, and Mary, I don't know how much any of that tied into like what they did in Mindhunter. Cause I know that's a lot about profiling, but it was like, basically they just ruled out white people. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well it would be noticeable if a white person came in here and killed somebody. So we've just decided the victim it, or the, the, uh, suspect is black. Yeah. Which is wild to me. <laughs> In Mindhunter, sort of, like, the main guy, the Jonathan Groff, Groff character who's, like, a genius profiler and sort of invented... Jonathan Groff's in that show? Yeah. I didn't even know. And sort of invented right. profiling. He was like, a white man couldn't have done this. It had to be a black man. And he had reasons for doing it. But even when he said that, I was like... Mm. But it seems like the easiest answer is... Racist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of shady KKK stuff going on, and you've basically got KKK members saying they did this. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Admitting it. Yeah. And you're gonna say, but a white man couldn't have done it? And, the, like, it seems like their main, their main, like, reasoning is only black people are in these neighborhoods and there's never white people around. But then it's like, but what about, like, the white cops that are around? And what about, like, the white, like, you know, people who work in different service industries who are around? People, yeah. like, repairing houses or whatever. What about, uh, I, mean, I don't know, there are, like, a million different reasons. Oh, and then one person points out, like, you know, like, white people knew that, like, they could come here to buy drugs because, yeah. like, that's where you, you go to, like, lower-income communities if you want to buy drugs because that's what, like, people are being forced to do to make a livelihood. So, mm-hmm. like, there are a, a huge number of reasons why a white person might have been around and you can't just say, like, well, white people don't come here, so. <laughs> yeah. But if you're an old white guy that people trust for some reason, you can say that. Right. I love that he was just like, well, we didn't say that it couldn't have been a white person, but we didn't look at any white people because it had to be a black person. <laughs> like, yeah, like you could. But hear, you did just say that. <laughs> yeah, what? you could like tell that the person, like the filmmaker, was asking the question. Like, <laughs> are you sure that that's not what you mean? <laughs> like, and he essentially said, "We well, we didn't do that, but we did do that. So yeah. we didn't do yeah. that, but we did." Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, like, but we yeah no, we but got we it. You definitely did do that, but okay. Yeah. It just, it seems like the police wanted it to be a black man to make the outcome less culturally divisive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as soon so, as they had a person, they were like, this is our person. It will be him. Yeah. And, you know, just from, like, the evidence provided, I'm not going to say I don't think Wayne Williams was up to something. Yeah. I don't know if that something was killing people. Yeah. Yeah, I think they just had to find, they found one black guy who was already part of the community that this was happening in Mm -hmm. that people thought was sort of weird. Well, they thought he was Which it turns out is because he 
they think he's gay or he yeah. is gay, but they are apparently scared of gay people. The so, fir- like, the first thing they say when they're, like, talking about why he's guilty, they're like, we know for a fact he's a homosexual. And I was like, yeah. how is that proof of literally anything? Like, Yeah, well, it's definitely not proof of murder. <laughs> yeah, like, and, th- and that is also another thing that it, that was really, like, unfortunate in all of this was, like, the, the repeated way in which, like, being like, gay automatically equates mm-hmm. to, like, liking little boys, which is yep. not a thing. Like, obviously, that exists. There are... It's, it's not a thing, but it's a stereotype people have hung on to to this day. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I still I still see that kind of commentary. It's, like, it blows my mind because those mm-hmm. are completely separate things, and yet, I think that is why Wayne Williams specifically is the person that was, this was pinned on. Yeah. I mean, I think that it was, like, easy to target him for that. And he also, like, had involvement with a couple kids in the community because he was, like, whatever weird, like, record-producing thing he was doing. That's what yeah. seems shady to me. Yeah. I'm not saying he's like, not he shady, but... I was like, maybe he was some kind of scam with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he also... I, I feel like he could just be trying to get rich, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean... Um, I was gonna... Yeah, maybe he just, he belongs on one of those scam true crime yeah. things we were talking about. Yeah. I feel like they could have picked there could be several adult people in this community who would have known more than one of the almost 30 people that were killed because the community is small and because you Mm -hmm. know a lot of them like there were so many people who were interviewed just talking about like yeah i went to school with that person or this person and like i knew of him like they just had to pick one weird guy who had some connection to more than one of them. And that's what – I feel like that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced by carpet fiber that he did anything. No. Well, especially not after we find out that the entire, like, office in which they were, uh, like, doing the Analyzing. samples was, like, literally <laughs> raining fibers down from the ceiling onto all of the evidence. Oh, my God. I I haven't even – I didn't even <laughs> write a question about that. And yet that <laughs> out loud, I was just like, what? Literally like, the fibers were their only, their only evidence. And then it was like, oh, by the way, like this is literally all completely irrelevant because, and then they tried to cover it up. I need like, a whole documentary about that lab. Seriously. The fiber guy was like, everything was completely above board. It's like. Are we did sure? that whistleblower. The whistleblower guy, like, more power to him. He was I just know. like, um, "Hey, boss, this isn't cool." And he was like, "I just kept going to my boss, and then I went yeah. to the next guy, and the next guy, yeah. and they said like, you will commit perjury before you embarrass the FBI.'" And he's he just like, like, "No, fuck that. I'm just gonna go public." Yeah, <laughs> I was like, him. "Yes, son. Okay." <laughs> What's crazy about that though, and why I need another documentary, is because it basically found that it was like 98 percent of the cases that were like. <laughs> had tests of something done in that lab were fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. What? That's a lot of cases. I need to know about those also. Over, like, a period of time, too. So. Yeah. I was like, this could affect thousands of outcomes of trials. And I was like, are we going to revisit 
I need HBO to come back. Circle back. We're not going (laughs) to revisit it, because, I mean, stuff like this just makes me completely doubt the entire justice system. Right, which I already did, so. I I mean, I already did a little bit, but this doesn't make it better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of that fiber evidence, the other thing that made it suspect is the fact that this the KKK guy also had that carpet. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, no one has this carpet. <laughs> oh, what KKK KKK guy? Do you mean the KKK guy who admitted <laughs> to wanting to kill black children? And That's the interview the with him was wild because they'd ask him a question like, like, were you involved in these murders? And he'd, like, have his cigarette and just sit there for, like, 25 minutes in complete silence smoking a cigarette. And it's like, are you going to answer the question? Like, Well, and he also said, are we rolling? Are we on camera? Like, right. He, like, as if the camera was off and he would say something different. Right. Fucked up. I like that. I'm not really actually going through my questions for real, for real, but I am just coming around to the things that they're about, which is these KKK what? guys. Genius. Yes. It's not the KKK guys. Your questions are genius. Yes. <laughs> well, they just flow so well that it's just the natural progression yes. of our conversation. It should just say one question. Let's chat about this. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, what you think? What did um, you think of the show? <laughs> okay, so there's these KKK guys. Mm-hmm. Shocking. The KKK was pretty active in Georgia in the 70s. Um, <laughs> yeah. And... These guys, it's three of them, right? They're brothers. Mm-hmm. This is like who they were kind of focused on looking at. Although I feel like we could probably look at several of their yeah. um, associates as well. But there's these brothers, um, one of whom like just really openly talked about wanting to kill black children and also said that he did kill at least one of these specific children that was killed mm-hmm. um, By name. told someone this. and Apparently that in, person, like, a casual shooting the shit conversation. Yes. Yeah, so the person he told was a confidential informant. Um, Which I love. Yeah. That guy is awesome. <laughs> My other favorite thing about that is that guy, like, said what the KKK guy said. And then the KKK guy is like, no, he said that to me. I didn't say that. It was him. Not, not me. <laughs> it's like, mm, I believe the guy that's not in the KKK, though. So, um, Also, that guy was great because he would say, like, I can't repeat what he said. There's women present. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, sir, there's ladies here. And they're like, no, just say it. Just like, like, it's offensive to everybody, yeah. not just women. <laughs> yeah. The thing you're about to say is way worse for all black people yeah. than yeah. it is for women There are generally. also black people present, yeah. so... I know. Oh, oh my gosh. Man. I love, like, how much of... That guy looked like a, like, motorcycle-riding total hard-ass, and he yeah. was just, like, a gentle dude, and I thought yeah. that was sweet, but um, good for him for coming forward, but part of what he was uncovering was not just that evidence that this guy had said all these things and obviously hated black people based mm-hmm. on, you know, the fact that he's way high up in the KKK um, and everything he says and does every day. <laughs> but that this was actually investigated, like, undercover and then... By the GBI. By the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And then it was just like, 
never mind. They just and dropped it because they were like, oh, we have Wayne Williams, so we're good. We don't not even they dropped it. They destroyed the evidence. Yeah. And nothing happened to them for doing any of that, which yeah. is, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised <laughs> based on everything else. But, like, that is wild that there's, like, proof that they destroyed it and it was just like, okay, case closed. Like, no, we're, it's fine. And, like, when they were talking to the, to one of the guys who, like, was involved in destroying the evidence, they were like, they were like, did you go through all of the evidence? He's like, there was a lot of it. Like, not really. I'm not sure if I saw all of it. And then they're like, okay, but you destroyed it all. And he's like, yeah, well, like, there wasn't anything pertaining to the Atlanta child murders in it. And they're like, well, how do you know that if you didn't see all of it? And he's like, I just do. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, oh, okay, you're white, so I guess that's fine. I wouldn't be able to do anything related to court because the whole time I was just like, that guy's got a real tone. (laughs) He's got a real tone, and I think he's lying. Yeah. I just, I had, like, a little bit of hope for a second, even though, like, this all happened in the past, and I could have just looked up the fact that it wasn't fixed, but... Like, when they brought in these, like, really high-powered, like, civil rights lawyers and defense lawyers and just, like, I was really hopeful that they were going to, like, do something big because they seemed so prepared. And they did have the evidence. (laughs) I mean, from what I saw of that trial, I feel like they won the case. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) That's not how it happened. But, yeah, I just, in the end, I don't really... I don't even know, like, what my theory is on this whole thing. Like, I highly doubt one single person did all of it, but I wouldn't be surprised if whoever the people are that did it aren't all connected through the KKK. Yeah. Right. Really don't feel like it was the person who's still in jail and will be forever. It's also... Yeah wild to me that the KKK was like, there's gonna be a race war. Let's kill some black kids and, like, see if it happens. Like, you can't you can't do that. It's like saying, this guy's gonna get mad at me, just wait and see, and then you, like, kick him in the balls. Right. (laughs) And say, see, he's mad at me now. Yeah, let's see if we can provoke a race war and then blame it on the people who we provoked. (laughs) I think one of the things that, I mean, this is probably pretty obvious, but just to, like, point it out from the KKK, let's let's take a look at the KKK's perspective here for a minute. <laughs> no. Yeah, won't someone um, speak for them? Come on, Emily. What do you got? But, I mean, <laughs> let's talk about Atlanta a little bit. Yeah. Um, because a lot of how this story has to be framed is, like, what was going on in Atlanta at the time, what the narrative was in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've kind of got this in your questions a little bit, so maybe we're circling The to question that. we never but, answered. <laughs> I never um, asked it. One of the things, I mean, this is still the narrative in Atlanta, is that Atlanta is a great place for black people to live and be successful, and there's a lot of upward mobility for black people. It's, I think, and again, like, I don't have the numbers on this, but I'm pretty sure, like, Atlanta has the highest percentage of wealthy African Americans in the country. Um And so, I think from the KKK's perspective, the race war had already begun because, like, the idea of black people being successful and, 
you know, having, mm-hmm. having good jobs and living in nice neighborhoods and just generally like making something of themselves and like, you know, having anything. To, yeah. Dating to be just, I'm using air quotes here, just as good as white people is inciting a war. So, yeah. um, I think, and uh, again, not saying they're right. This is fucked up as hell. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think that there's a certain group of white people who take offense to people of other colors being successful. Yeah. This is still to to the success of anyone other than themselves. Yes. Yeah. Because to, to them, that means taking something away from them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What's that? It's like when. Like, when you have all of the privilege, equality feels like oppression to mm-hmm. you. Right. Um, well, yep. if you're an asshole, anyway. Like, yeah. I mean, this this obviously still happens today, not just with black people. I think, like, one of the clearest examples of it right now is, like, with um, immigrants. Mm-hmm. And the the narrative of, like, well, these are our jobs that we worked for so they shouldn't be able to work for them no matter how they do it mm-hmm. and like yeah i mean that i don't endorse that again <laughs> um but it's that same like us versus them and you're taking it from me yeah well and look at the way that that certain white groups of people react to the black lives matter movement yeah mm-hmm. it's that same mm-hmm mentality that Emily was just talking about. The assumption that the statement black lives matter automatically means white lives don't matter. Yeah. Which is not the point at all. Like the the only people who think that way are white people. Yeah. White people like... Specific white people. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm okay with just saying white people in general as a white person. I am too, but I'm also just keeping up with our continuous line of disclaimers that I don't mean me. Yes. We'll just have a disclaimer in the episode. Like, just ignore us. Yeah. (laughs) Just don't listen. Just don't. Everything we just said was (laughs) white people are terrible. We are white. We might be terrible, but not because of this particular reason. Yeah, but no, I'm on board with that. White people are terrible. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, to go back to talking about Atlanta, and um, (laughs) so part of your your question in here, Susan um, mentions Maynard Jackson, the mayor. And I thought that that whole part of the story was really interesting, that this mayor is is a black mayor and is, like, uh, like pretty, like, well-respected and seems to be – he's very, you know, pro-Atlanta, pro, like, black mobility and everything. But then as soon as this starts happening, he, like, tries to sort of engage with it while also trying to sweep it under the rug a little bit because it definitely affects the – view of Atlanta as this, like, positive, like, haven for black people when black people are being targeted in this way. Um, and I just thought that the the history of all of that was really interesting and, and the idea that, like, like, this positive thing could also be spun into, like, another way to, like, abuse and oppress, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And... It reminded me also of, and, like, I th- I thought about this, like, right after I said what my favorite docuseries was, but I totally forgot to mention um, O.J. Made in America, which... That's what I just said. 
earlier. Oh, it must- that was my third place. It was probably when my thing cut out. <laughs> I think it was. Um, yeah, I shouted that out. Okay, yes, that's a very good documentary because that's what I should have said. Because I actually, yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. And um, but me being an idiot just said that OJ Simpson documentary. You know the one. <laughs> you know the one. Yeah, yes. the ESPN. That's exactly one. what I said. Um, you know, yeah. Which like the only time I've ever like watched and enjoyed something from ESPN. Uh, <laughs> as a person who doesn't care about sports. Um, but it reminded me of that in, like, just the way that this documentary was made and that, like, it presents, like, a really interesting historical context for what is going on mm-hmm. um, yeah. and sort of, like, shows us all of that, like, right at the top so that we understand, like, the impact of, like, the environment of Atlanta uh, and and all of that, like, on this case. And it also reminded me of how, like, there's kind of, like, a reverse situation happening in OJ Made in America where it's, like, they decided to, like, stack the jury with black people who they knew would be more sympathetic to OJ uh, because OJ was, like, you know, he sort of became this, like, poster boy in a way for, like, like a black man who was, like, fal- like falsely accused and mm-hmm. they, like, spun this, like, support for him into a way to get him off of something that he, like, actually did. <laughs> so yeah. it's, like, it's like a lose-lose situation, basically. Well, and that came out of the cultural context of L.A. at the time, too, and, yeah. like, those the mm-hmm. race riots. Then, yeah, I really appreciated all of that context, too, because even though, like, I – I live semi near Atlanta and t- I mean, relative to like the rest of the country, <laughs> I guess, yeah. like yeah. two hours from Atlanta. Um, but like, I didn't know any of that history and it does help to like set the stage for every single thing that went really, really wrong with it. And that's one thing that I really like about the documentary I said earlier, the, the paradise lost one with the West Memphis three, like, it gives you this picture of West Memphis where you're like, it, these these people were doomed. Like, the kids that got pinned for this were doomed because they were, like, the specific type of outsider that, at the time, the cultural context of that city just, like, was going to eat alive. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that was a really interesting part also. Yeah, which just, like, I think that... We haven't even we haven't talked that much about like the documentary itself and like how it functions as like like a documentary. Um go for it though. Well, I just want to say that I think it's really good. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, I mean like I'm not um yeah. I'm not like super I don't I don't I've watched like documentaries but I'm it's definitely not my main uh thing that I watch. So I'm like not an expert at all. But I think especially, like, having recently watched another docu-series, which is completely, like, not the same thing, but, like, Tiger King is so badly (laughs) made. So badly made. And, like, watching this was just, like, a reminder of, like, how to tell a story and, like, to, to make something, like, compelling without making it sensational, to be respectful of, like, the victims, but also makes like a an interesting narrative um and just like presenting stuff in a timeline that makes sense like i was never confused 
about what was happening when. I was never like, wait, who's that? What? Like, to me, it it all was, like, pretty seamless as far as, like, just a form of storytelling. And, again, like, it presented the historical context. It There was a lot of, like, really cool footage of, like, old Atlanta, like, even before, you know, the 80s when this was taking place, like, when they were talking about the, um, like, all the Black-owned businesses and, mm-hmm. like, and there were also, like, so many beautiful photographs throughout and, like, just, like, devastating photographs from, like, the trials and oh, yeah. of all crime these mothers. Scene. Yeah, and, I mean, the crime scene photos are, like, just, like, appalling. Really hard. Um, yeah, like... It's- it's jarring, and I think it's important for people to sort of, like, see the victims and see the reality of what happened, but it is also really hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I I think they did a... Speaking of docuseries specifically, one of the challenges of a docuseries is you're not just framing... Uh, hour and a half, two hour documentary, you're kind of making five, six, however many, mini documentaries about the same topic. Mm-hmm. And so each one's, each one is connected, but each one kind of has to, um, take the subject matter in a new direction. I think this, this, um, series did a good job of doing that. And to Mary's point about how hard all of the stuff about the murders is to see and to hear about, I, th- I think it was smart of them to um, really hit that hard in the first episode mm-hmm. so that we didn't have to go over it in such detail in other episodes. Cause I think if, if I had had to watch five episodes that were just, bleak as the first um, one yes as bleak as the first one it would have been really hard and i think we need to see that to understand the importance of what's happening in the other i don't know if importance is the right word but you know what i mean um, yeah. of what's happening in the rest of the show and it, i'm not saying the rest of the show isn't bleak because it definitely is and even like as i was watching the final episode earlier today i was crying yeah. Um, and Ben Ben was trying to talk to me about some other shit and I was like, Can you not see? I'm having an emotional moment here. Like, I need you to not ask me about if you can make a phone call right now or whatever the fuck he was trying to say. <laughs> um, but anyway, my point is like I I've never tried to do something like that. I think um nonfiction storytelling in general is just really hard because like you have to deal with reality and like making that into a narrative. Um, and so, like, doing something like this seems like a very difficult, complicated task. And I think, yeah. like, the storytelling in this, just to agree with you guys, was really great. And especially That's when you don't say. have, like, a conclusion necessarily. Yes. So you're working towards something and you work towards... But I think one of the things... That, I'm sorry. One of the things they said in the final episode that I think was really poignant, again, is, like, what is a conclusion yeah. for something like this? Yeah. Because yeah. Like, those kids are still There can't be a dead. conclusion. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Like, clo- like a, a, you see a bunch of the um, family members say, like, like, I can't have closure on this. Yeah. There is no closure on this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, like, 
there's more that should and can be done, but yeah. um, I mean, like yeah. as as far as like a satisfying <laughs> ending to right. a documentary or to any like true crime cases, like finding out who yeah. did it, like you know, yeah, uh, and you you don't know here, but like yeah. you don't, I like it doesn't leave you feeling like like you, I don't know, it just it leaves you feeling like maybe there's a chance that more might be done like, soon, because it wasn't, like, as they're making this documentary, the the current mayor of Atlanta is, like, working on, like, re-examining and, like, reopening Also, I was case. like, we've got a woman mayor, we got a woman yeah. police mm-hmm. chief, what up, Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there are so Look, many, like, I love Atlanta, y'all. Amazing, love like, women in this documentary from, like, we mentioned earlier, Camille Bell, to uh, the uh, defense attorney, um, what's her Mary name? Mary Welcome. Mary Welcome, yeah. the cutest yeah. name ever. <laughs> yes, I know. But she was so I loved her. I need um, a whole documentary about Camille Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a character in Mindhunter as well. Who? Oh, really? I loved. I like that she has eight different pairs of octagonal glasses. Yes. And all of them are statements. And, like, every time she comes somewhere, she came to make a statement. Yeah. She's just, like, n- no bullshit. She's, like, not taking it. Oh, and, like, they're con- like the media, like, when it showed interviews with her, like, the media constantly tried to undercut mm. her and her cause and what she was saying. And she would just be like, they're like, oh, what's your coalition called? Like, the Murdered Kids Club? And she's like, no, that's not correct. Here's what it's yeah. called and here's what it's about and here's why. And, like... Fuck you. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love this woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do we want to rate this? How can you rate how? it? Yeah. That's why yeah. I said, do we even want it's, to? I mean, I mean so, <laughs> I'll say it's an excellently made documentary. Yeah. 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 It feels bad to rate Yeah, I was just gonna, like, I have zero complaints about the way that it's made. Like, it's excellent. And yes. I think, like, it is valuable to watch, even though it is hard to watch. Um, I would I would recommend it, especially for people who are interested in, in this sort of thing, like procedural, like, crime documentaries. Definitely. For sure. It's definitely not for everyone. I think the subject matter is really difficult. Um, yeah. But I think it's an important documentary – that needed to be made, especially, you know, talking about raising awareness on a case that they're still working on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially, like, if Wayne Williams is innocent, like, this man is in jail. Yeah. Like, he's in prison. hmm Yeah. And will be forever. Unless, I mean, you know. Mary Welcome had a good point, sort of towards the end of the documentary. She said, even if Wayne Williams was to get out of jail now... What kind of life would he have? Like, he's yeah. grown up in jail. He's lived most of his life in jail. What would his life be like? But doesn't he deserve a chance to see? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And there are so many, like, innocent black men in jail. hmm So, to end on that positive note. <laughs> the positive note is that hopefully this continues to bring so much attention to it mm-hmm. that yeah. it outrages a whole new group of people. 
enough that more actual action happens on it. Yes. Especially because, like, I mean, some these mothers of the victims and families are still out there fighting for this. And they are not young. This was 40 years ago. It's like, mm-hmm. let's, we need to get a whole new, like, generation of people so pissed off that it hasn't been fixed yet that something happens. Yeah. Yeah. Get pissed, everyone. Get pissed. I am pissed. We're just changing topics sort of to another killer story. Um, Friend of the pod, Mary Kay McBrayer, has a book that just came out. It's her debut book. Yay! Yay! And it's about crime, so. (laughs) Surprise! Um, Mary Kay's book is called America's First Female Serial Killer, Jane Toppin and the Making of a Monster. And I got to talk to her about everything about this book, just like why she is interested in this particular very interesting woman, um, how she went about researching it, the writing process. Um, we just had a good chat. So. Yay. Yay. Let's hear Enjoy. it. Enjoy. <laughs> Hello, we are here, or I am here, with Mary Kay McBrayer, author of America's First Female Serial Killer, Jane Toppin, and the Making of a Monster. Yay! Yay. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Susan and Emily and Kelly and Mary, but mostly Susan. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the lucky one for this. Me too! We are the chosen ones. Well, listeners might recognize Mary Kay's um, lovely voice or her name from being on the podcast before or from listening to her podcast, Everything Trying to Kill You. But now, Mary Kay has also written a book. I'm doing all the things. I can do it. I can have it all. I feel like I say that the most when I'm like dropping everything at the same time. I can do it. (laughs) I feel that. I feel that. Um, well, this book is right up my alley, so I'm really excited to talk to you about it. Um, so first, I just wanted to ask you about, uh, clearly based on the title, this is a true crime yep. book. Mm-hmm. What is your connection to true crime? Let's just talk about that. Okay. So that's a good question, and I get asked that a lot by people who are just not into being scared. And uh, I think for me, part of it is that Um, I have anxiety and so putting that in a controlled space, even though it's true, like lets me have some semblance of control, right? Like if I, and and also like if I see all of this terrible shit happening, hopefully I can avoid it, you know? So I think that's a big connection for me. And then also whenever I'm reading or, or watching TV, and there's no, there's nothing like at stake. 
I just kind of find my mind wandering and like shooting holes in the plot. Like I'm the worst person to watch a romantic comedy with because I'm just like, she could have gotten murdered at so many different points. Like my head automatically goes there because I'm just thinking like that anyway. Um, and then I realized like once, once I realized true crime was a genre, I was like, Oh, I love this shit. I just didn't know that it was its own thing. Like one of my favorite books in my nonfiction class that in college was in cold blood. So yes, I was like, Oh, of course one. I like it. I did. I just didn't know it. You know, like sometimes you don't realize something that you know inherently until someone says it. And then you're like, yes. Oh yeah, that's exactly right. So <laughs> I think that's my connection to it. Like emotionally, is that what you're asking for? <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah definitely. Like just like how yeah, your interest in it in general and then how you made the switch from just being interested in it to wanting to participate in the making of this book. Like this is it's so cool. Like I I read so much true crime, so it seems like a dream to just be able to sit down and re- like research that stuff and like be the person behind it. And um yeah, so Yeah. That's so um that's a great question. I love telling stories and I can tell myself like when I, when I'm really listening to a story, it's because I want to tell it to someone else. And I can tell like the story changes a little bit every time I tell it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I just, you know, I'm working workshop in this character arc or whatever. I don't really do it consciously until I do, but I remember listening to uh, her version or not her version, but her story on, my favorite murder and hearing like the very beginning of it and thinking you guys aren't doing this right. Like, (laughs) There's more to it than this. I mean, and of course my favorite murder is like mostly comedy. They tell you straight up, like don't rely on us for facts. So I didn't. And I went to go, I went to like read the book that was written about her and I found one, uh, it's called Fatal by Harold Schechter, but it's still like all of the facts, right? It's like reading a newspaper in the form of a book and that, and it's amazing. And that takes a really special person, I think, to have the patience to really like sift through every single little thing to make it into, uh, like a chronology, but it still wasn't what I wanted to read. If that makes sense. Like, I was learning a lot, but I was also like, but there's no cause and effect. Like I get that that's not what you're supposed to do as a, as a journalist or as a researcher, but that's what I wanted to read was like, this happened. So then this happened. And that's also not the way that life works. So I think novelizing a true story really helps, helps us like make meaning of what actually happened, uh, which I need personally, like, for my sanity. Um, so yeah, so I read that book and then I was like, I, you know what? I'm going to do this man. He's great. A favor and redo it for like a different audience. Um, I mean, that's really vain of me to say, but I was thinking like the whole time I was reading this, <laughs> reading his book, um, this is amazing, but it's not what I want to read. So, uh, I just kept researching about it. And then I think I started by by right, I think I started with writing the first chapter actually, which is uh, set from the perspective of the people at the orphanage to which she was surrendered as a small child. 
And I yes. think I actually did write the first chapter first, and then I wrote the last chapter, and then I wrote like the most interesting part to me um, in the middle. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, now now I have my arc, right? Like some things are going to change, but that's how I did it. And then uh, for me as well, I mean, and this is such an like a millennial thing to say because we're the information era where when you have a question, it's like, I don't have to guess. I can go look it up. And then after 25 minutes of not being able to find it on Google, it's like, okay, I'm going to make it up. Like I did my due diligence. <laughs> I'm just going to decide on the thing that I think is most likely. So the researching never really stopped um, until it was like out of my hands to the publisher. Um, I also typically have a kind of tricky time letting things go as far as revising, but when someone else had it and they were like, these are clean, these are clean pages. It's like, Oh, it's really validating actually, because I think weren't you in a writing yeah. program as well, where they'll find something yes. no matter what, Oh yeah, because you're, you're kind of yeah. trained, like <laughs> there's, it can always be improved and that's totally true, but it's like, but are we just changing it for the sake of you having a good, having a suggestion or like, so that was cool too. Um, I, and, and I think your original question was like, how did you go from hearing the story to writing the story? So I think it was a, a really gradual transition of like, especially cause there was so much research involved. Um, yeah. Yeah. And part of it too was like, and this is probably really like a fun story, but there's no Jane Toppin tour in Boston. Like I had never heard of her before <laughs> I was on that podcast, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> Her some somewhat contemporary to her is the Lizzie Borden story, which has been done mm -hmm. to death. So there is a Lizzie Borden yeah. tour, and I went on that tour. I went on the Salem Witch tour and everything, just because. Yeah. I mean, if if y'all can't hear it from my voice, I'm from the South. I'm not from Boston, so I had a lot to learn. <laughs> um, and it was just it was really interesting because they would take you into the houses, and. It just the architecture alone, like it was just not how I pictured it because I'm from the South. So we have like big right. rooms and, it, you know, a front porch. And that's not always the case there, especially because um, they had an apartment in the attic. And if you had one of those in the South, like you would just suffocate. Like you. Oh, yeah. It's so hot. It's so hot. Like on the bottom floor, like you want to get. Remember like in school when they were like, if you smell smoke, get to the bottom because heat rises. Like. Right. I remember laying on the floor when I was a kid just because it felt cooler down there. <laughs> so um, uh, it was just a, a lot of learning in that regard and like taking notes as I was doing it and imagining walking upstairs and there, you know, and I went in the summer too. So if it had been cold, yeah. it would have been super cold. And I can remember being like, God, it's so dry here. And, <laughs> and it's just things like I wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't gone there. So like even some yeah. of the journaling stuff, was was helpful because it was like a first person account. Was it her account? It was mine, but still, I feel like right. you know she would notice if her hands were like so chapped they were, you know, cracking and stuff. Right. So uh, I really just did as much research as I could before I started writing, and then once I was like, "There's already a narrative, and I keep telling it." I just put pen to paper and then went back into the research when I felt like I needed to. That sounds so fun. It was and fun. So, it was so challenging too. Like, I yeah. mean, especially because like you talk about this in the introduction, there's just not as much 
information about her as there right. are about people like Lizzie Borden or, you know, any male serial killer of any time. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> For example. Um, and you said also, you have that quote, um, about, was it Toni Morrison, the writing about what, yep. writing the book that you want to read? That's so great. Um, I like to pretend that she told me that in a text, like, but that's not true. I just, you know, it's one of those things that she gets quoted on a lot. So, but it felt like she was texting it to me. Exactly. I mean, I can see, I can, I mean, I can hear that that is like so much of your motivation, especially after reading the Schechter book. And Schechter is like such a classic true crime writer, but you're right. It For is real. Very, um, it is very uh, dry and just, you know, it's the straight facts. It's, yeah. They it's, use it all the time. They use them a lot on yeah. uh, last podcast on the left, which is mm-hmm. a really well-researched <laughs> right. podcast. And they're, they always are like, so one of the sources is Harold Schechter. And it's <laughs> just like a long list of facts. Um, well, that brings me to the question about why why Jane Toppin? Besides, you know, that you wanted to read more about her person, mm-hmm. like what is it about Jane specifically that made you want to know that, want to know everything about her and to tell her story in a way it hadn't been told? Yeah, I love that question because we are, I think, as a culture somewhat in a phase of being fascinated with all criminals. Um, her story stood out to me, um, first of all, because I had never heard it and I felt like that was weird and like a (laughs) a very weird sort of cover up thing to do. And, um, because I'm a naturally inquisitive person, if something is fishy to me, I'll be like, but, but what, but what else? (laughs) Like, it's really funny too. Like, and I do this with people whenever they're clearly like avoiding talking about something, I'll ask questions all around it until they cave. And that's kind of how um, (laughs) I felt about this story because it, or about her, because um, for one, I think, and this is of course me just speculating, but she killed so many people. She, she admitted to about 30, 31. Yeah. And there's probably more than that. And she says in her confession, which I think is somewhat editorialized, but she says in her <laughs> confession, like, I mean, there's probably a few more, but I don't really remember. <laughs> so, so I think that that's weird that it wasn't really talked about at, like she was not really talked about very much at all. Um, partly because I think that was embarrassing to the like law enforcement at the time. Um, yeah. Where they were like, Oh, you killed 31 people. We, I know that we know. Like <laughs> that's how I imagine them um, kind of feeling about it. <laughs> Cause uh, the, and for one, so she was a woman, which I mean, when you think about it, you don't really, maybe Eileen Warnos, maybe Lucretia Borgia, but there are not very many women serial killers, not serial killers. Like there are women killers, but yes, We've all seen it's that. very uncommon, um, <laughs> especially when they uh, don't really know their victims, which right. is also interesting. Um, so that was something that drew me to her. And uh, another reason why I think she wasn't very much in the news, even at the time, was that President McKinley was assassinated right before she was arrested. So that was taking over a lot of headlines. Uh, another reason that I, I really wanted to use Jane Toppin's story is 
because she had a very troubled home life as well, or uh, formative years, I guess I should say, because um, like I mentioned, she uh, was, well, maybe I didn't mention this part. Um, so she was the child of Irish immigrants, um, and her, her mother died of tuberculosis when she was very young, um, which is tragic. And then her father, who apparently had a history of mental illness included, but not limited to alcoholism and violence because of that, uh, surrendered her to an orphanage, uh, where she lived for a couple years and got only the education that was quote unquote necessary for a girl of her class. And then they indentured her out when she was, I believe, eight years old, um, to a family who had another little girl who did not have to do any work. So I just feel like those series of cascading failures, uh, we, sh- we shouldn't ignore that. Like, yes, she was definitely a monster. I'm not saying that she wasn't, <laughs> but I think it's, I, I think that it, um, is an important story to tell because, you know, that might not have happened if, if we had done right by her, you know? Yes, I, yeah. So I think that's why her, like, that's what drew me to her because, um, I said this in the author's note, which I'm not sure that you got, and I know the listeners probably have not read, <laughs> but, um, I worked for, or excuse me, I served for a little while in a mental health facility for, they called them at-risk or emotionally disturbed kids. And it was really, I couldn't hang because it was really tragic to see that they were not really in control of what happened to them because they were kids, but they were being treated like adults and they had never been taught to be adults. And they just had zero advantages at all. And I think that, paying attention to that can prevent a lot of tragedy later. And I don't mean that like every child who has had a hard life is going to become a serial murderer (laughs) um, or anything like that, because there are plenty who don't. But I just, you know, why run that risk? Why not let, why not pay a little bit more attention and hopefully prevent any kind of hardship for anyone ever at all? That's the goal. (laughs) That's a modest goal of mine. <laughs> there are so many uh, crime stories that I hear about serial killers, like on podcasts and stuff, where when you like what you always hear just like out and about or people talking about are, you know, the number of victims or something, some crazy details about the crimes. Mm-hmm. But then when you hear these backstories, it's like, oh my gosh, like she never had a chance at. A normal life, or you can like kind of trace back and see why right. some of these any things one of those happen. things would have made me nuts. And Jane's life did not get did not get any easier after no after being in the the top end home, um, right? And I really like I liked her, <laughs> you know, because she. I mean, I I don't like what she did, right. but. I, I mean, she was a genius, right? Like, she, everybody liked being around her. She was really friendly. She was not afraid of hard work. She went to nursing school when she was 28, which is intimidating now. Right. Like, in the Victorian time, it's like, you want to start a new career admit in your midlife? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Right? I mean, do you know they didn't – I mean, speaking of, like, washing your hands, they were they thought that was bad. Like you were washing off good stuff. It was, man, when I was researching it, girl, (laughs) 
They they sold strychnine over the counter, like chocolate covered strychnine. Oh my gosh! Um, I know they were just like they were really swinging and missing when it came to medicine back then. Like, yeah, that's not a that's not like the place you want trial and error to be the main form of finding (laughs) out things. But clearly, it was. Also, a note about strychnine. I have never seen it written out before reading this. <laughs> so, like, I was like, that's how you spell that? I had no clue. <laughs> I'm like, it's like, I hardly ever come across a new word anymore. So it's just like a really exciting right. moment where I was like. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I normally know how to spell things, but not how to say them. So when I was narrating the book aloud, I was like, uh, hang on, I have to look up how to pronounce this word. And the the technician was like. You don't know how you use this word in your book. You don't know how to say it. And I was like, oh, I know what it means. I yeah. obviously can use it in a sentence. I know sentence, not to but eat it. Especially, <laughs> right. Chocolate or otherwise. Especially like some of the, <laughs> um, some of the towns too are like, I mean, like, like I said, like I'm Southern, we might have that same town here and not say it the same way. So I had to like look up how to say the names of the towns like Katomit. That's not how I would say no, that me neither. at all. Like, a, I mean, that's how they say it there. I'm glad right. you said it out loud so, before I said anything um, about it, too. <laughs> yeah. I want to listen to it again once I've, once that is available to me because this is it's, this was so fun to read, and I can imagine like inhabiting those character voices while listening to like or hearing you inhabit the character voices as the narrator would be really cool too. It was, it was really fun and really tricky when I had to do the male characters. Cause you know, I have the voice of the country mouse in a Christmas. <laughs> so, um, the guy was, uh, he, he was like coaching me on how to do it. And he was like, you don't have to do the accents. Just make sure it's clear that someone else is talking. So like go a little bit lower or a little bit faster or a little bit slower. And, uh, and, uh, he, when he was coaching me, he picked like the most difficult scene, which is when they're all at the bar and it's like a bunch of yes. men and Jane. Oh my gosh, and I was like, that must have been so hard. To do this. <laughs> it, well, I'm so glad he picked that one because he was like, just mark by their names, like a little bit faster, a little bit slower, a little bit louder or whatever. <laughs> and it really helped, or like a little bit drunker. You know? <laughs> it was really helpful um, because there are so many characters in that one spot. And this is a book that's mostly women characters, which is good for me because yeah. – <laughs> I have a really feminine voice, but that one scene I think he picked just because he knew that I was going to have trouble with it. So <laughs> I'm glad that we're talking about characters because my next question is about inhabiting all of these different character voices. Because, like we've said, this is not you know like straightforward true crime. This is you've you've written characters in here, and while they're real people, like you've had to come up with their voices and their actions and all of that. So how did you accomplish that? Like, how did you pull that off? (laughs) Well, that's a really fun, interesting question. Let me think about that. Um, (laughs) So the one thing that I had trouble with was writing, I mean, not the one thing, but like the thing I had the most trouble with was writing from Jane's perspective. Because uh, first of all, You know, when you write a character, you kind of have to, I don't want to say inhabit them, but kind of inhabit them. Like, you have to think like they think, anticipate, like, what they would hear, what they would notice in a room. And I didn't really want to 
go in her head that much. Like I, I mean, I wanted to know about her, but I didn't want to be her because she got really scary. Like <laughs> yeah. A bunch of people. It escalates. <laughs> um, so that was the hardest part to do. Um, and, and as I was thinking about like transitioning from researching to writing, I also didn't feel like it was super authentic to tell too much of it from her perspective because we don't know what she thought. Like right. even, in her confession, it's clearly like n- no one would confess that way. Like not even on TV. It just doesn't look realistic at all when she's like, well, you know, if I had gotten married, I probably wouldn't have had the chance to do all of this stuff. It's like, that's, <laughs> that is some propaganda. Like, that's just not how it would have gone. Um, uh, from based on what I know of her. So I, like you were saying, I wrote it from a revolving perspective. So anytime I could get a first person account, those are just more interesting to me as a reader. So I tried to do that. And then one of my other, um, cautions to myself was be very respectful of the victims. Don't portray them negatively, be fair, be kind. Um, and so I, for a lot of that, especially for Amelia Finney, who was the one testimony they had from a victim that didn't die, um, that was a an interesting chapter to write because I didn't do it in the first person for that reason. Like, I didn't want to tell her story for her. Like, she did it on the record, and it's really protected. But I did think that um, that was one of the... I think that was the middle scene that I was talking about, the one with her when it's like, oh shit, hit the fan here. Yeah. <laughs> um, the most interesting scene. Um, and I tried to consider the time period a lot too, because it was Victorian, like uh, before the turn of the century. And decorum then, as it has been for a long time, was very particular. Like we're talking about this is why we have the names light and dark meat for chicken because they couldn't say breast and thigh aloud. <laughs> like those, that's why we have table skirts is because they thought the legs of the table were too sexy. <laughs> so I think like trying to tell some of those stories in, it, I mean, it is a salacious narrative, but doing it in a sort of roundabout way without euphemisms was kind of tricky. Um, and I, and I also tried to picture like they, I, they would be, who they would be telling the story to, like if they would be telling it to a sister, they'd tell it differently than if they were telling it to like a detective right. or something like that. So that's one thing that I noticed. And then I also, and this is maybe another answer to why Jane, um, she would have been one of the house workers. So she would have noticed if she came in and like the curtains were different or there was dust on the table. Um, whereas some of the other characters might not have. Um, so setting was a huge part of figuring out the characters because like I even have, I think I, I have Elizabeth ask Jane, like, so if he wanted to like see about you, that's how, I say it like, oh, I'm seeing about him, meaning like I'm considering dating him if he right. wanted to like see about you. <laughs> so how would he go about that in your class? Like we know how it's done in like the upper class, but like how would he do that? And Jane is like, I, d- 
I don't know. <laughs> it's just like a mystery. Um, so that's something I consider too about like the class system would have been a big factor in how people talk to one another right. and what they n- noticed mm-hmm. as well. So that was fun to research. What's, what's interesting about um, Jane's voice, well, not just her voice, but even like the way other people talk about her throughout it's like she's she is really likable. Like, <laughs> of, I yeah. mean, of course, again, like like you said, she's obviously a monster. But um, <laughs> yeah. there are times in this where I'm like, I love this Jane. Like she's like she's funny. She's like kind of a <laughs> smartass. She doesn't, in her own way, she doesn't take any shit, even though she has to take all this shit from people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like. She was likable, and then of course, then things take a major turn for her. But um, I'm like, should I like her? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It feels like Yay. it feels wrong, but yeah, that's what I was going for. Okay, well, so it much worked. For saying yeah. that, yeah. Susan. <laughs> it worked. That's, yeah, it is conflicting. I, I mean, that's how I felt about her too because. She's a real chameleon, mm-hmm. you know, like she can, she can turn it on. Yeah. And it was fun to write from her perspective before she was a monster and after she was a monster. Um, but she's very two-faced. Like I feel about her the way I felt about Zac Efron's portrayal of Ted Bundy, where it was like, I'm not seeing you do these terrible things, but I'm pretty sure you're doing them. <laughs> you know like, yeah it's hard to reconcile like someone being so charismatic um and so terrible but yeah but i'm glad that you i mean i'm paraphrasing what you said but i'm glad that you think that jane has big dick energy <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was going for she like she, yeah she definitely does um <laughs> for sure um and then she gets a little too much of it, but <laughs> yeah, a little too big for her bloomers <laughs> at the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Love it's it. like, there's so many points where I think you feel as a reader, you feel sympathy for her. Um, and I mean, like, even as a child, when you're reading about what's happening to her, you do know where this is going. So it is this type of, it's like a conflicted sympathy where it's like, well, this is clearly leading somewhere horrible <laughs> like the title <laughs> so tells bad. me so um <laughs> but oh my gosh I feel bad for her and like and I don't want to you know spoil any like major plot points for readers but there's a part that's you know like a a little heartbreak for her that I'm yeah. like oh no and also like fuck that guy like I'm <laughs> <am> so mad <laughs> yeah and I remember thinking, I was like, oh, this is where it starts, obviously. Like, she's got to, <laughs> this is who she's killing. <laughs> that was the last was straw. <laughs> <laughs> well, like one, I guess we'll just have like a kind of a final question. But what, what okay. do you want people to take away from reading this? Or what do you hope that they experience reading about Jane? So um, kind of your reaction is the goal. Like, Yay. the way you're like, well, I really... <laughs> I like her, but I don't like that about her. (laughs) Um, 
Uh, and I think that, I mean, the point of me writing it, I think, is one of my publisher, like, my publisher asked me that. She's like, what's the point of this? It's like, oh, well, um, <laughs> I, I know that you didn't ask me that, but uh, the takeaway, like, sort of the so what is the most important part of nonfiction. And I think um, the main, like, takeaway from this is that, I mean, hopefully it helps us consider how these things are allowed to happen and how we can stop that from happening or at least stop people from wanting to do those things. And, and the, it's interesting too, that you said uh, that that plot point that is a spoiler. So I'm not going to say it, but if y'all read this, which you should buy my book, um, <laughs> if you read it, uh, you were like, oh, that's when it went off the rails. <laughs> I felt like at any at any point in her life could have been like, oh, that's when. And I think pinpointing that, I don't want to say it's like a fun practice for us, but in fiction, it's fun, right? It's like, that's when I would have bailed out. That's when I would have known it's a cult. Or, right, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think that uh, putting this in like, it's not really a whodunit because you know who done it the whole time. But, um <laughs> kind of trying to look at it and and be like well if that person had been nice to her this might not have happened and i i just i don't know what the answer is but i think it's an important question to ask and eventually someone will be like this is the right answer <laughs> so i think that's the takeaway is just like the question and having that gray area of like many things can be true and just as a whole, like paying attention to terrible things. I don't, it was not an answer at all. I, feel like I, just I was actually, I was about to say, well cool. said, because I thought oh. it was well said. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was real tangled up in my head. I was like, I'm. All right. Well, um, let's, let's tell people, um, where they can, where they can get your book now. Yeah. So the book is called America's First Female Serial Killer. It's, published by Mango. It releases on May 19th. Um, I can give you the link to the publisher's website if you want to include it in the show notes. Um, you can also pre-order it on Amazon, IndieBound, uh, Barnes & Noble. And um, if you like or prefer your independent bookstores, um, pretty much the way that it works in my experience is you go in and you say, Hey, are y'all carrying this book? And they're like, we will. <laughs> That's usually <laughs> how it goes. Cause they want to sell you what you want to buy. Yeah. So if you want to patronize your local bookstore, um, you can go in and tell them that as well. But you know, as the author, any way you buy it makes me happy. So <laughs> if you're buying it, Oh, and it's coming out on an audiobook as well. I don't know what platforms yet, but I should know soonish cause it's a little bit different. Okay, awesome. Well, I can update that in the show notes uh, okay. when we know it, but I feel like it would be fun to listen to also. So I hope that you like it. I hope I did it justice. I tried real hard. <laughs> so we'll see. All right. Well, thank oh, you yeah. so much for thank being you here. Thank you so much. Listeners, go out and buy. This was super fun. Go out and buy this book, everyone. America's First Female Yay. Serial Killer. Mary Yay, Kay, we love you. Thank you. <laughs> we hope this to have you back amazing. on soon. I love. I would love that so much. I have so much fun with y'all. Yay! Thank you. All right, and once you've read her book, please send us 
send us some feedback and we'll read it and maybe yeah. maybe she can answer questions if she ha- if you have them. Oh, and- I would love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so send us questions, send us feedback. We would both love to hear it. Yeah. Thank you, Mary Kay. You're Thank the best. you, Susan. <laughs> You're the best. Look squad goals. Woo! was great susan that was great <laughs> thanks it was so much fun to talk to her we love mary um, Kay. she's been on the podcast uh several times you and probably her. will be again i'm sure okay well thank you to mary Kay for joining us for that thanks mary Kay. yeah and now time for listener feedback, feedback. about our last other episode about devs Yay, yay. The mind-bending series that I watched all in one day, much like the documentary we just talked about. Oh, no. <laughs> I have a bad habit well, I, of developing I, during I quarantine. To, I definitely had to spread this one out yeah, for same. sure. I, I just like this in one day. I just went for it. I mean, I didn't feel great afterwards. <laughs> but I just I, I'm telling it's quarantine. It's like I'll be really productive yeah. for a while, and then I'll have a day where I'm like, I'm just going to start this, and then I can't yeah. stop. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, back to Debs. <laughs> um, who wants to read that? I'll read it. Yeah. Uh, Great. This is from Seth from Hugo's Their Podcast. Oh, Which, Hugo's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a good name. Uh, uh, yeah. We should just quick shout out to the Hugo's Their Podcast. Um, if you like sci-fi books, definitely check it out. Seth's goal is to read through all the Hugo Award-winning sci-fi noble books. Noble goal. Oh, awesome. So, um, yeah, pretty cool. Check that out. And thanks for writing in with this feedback. Seth says, My main thought is that when I saw Sergei's reaction to seeing the code was that the central twist of the show would be that they discovered the universe was simulated. I still feel like it's a theory that could be defended, though you'd have to acknowledge, I think, that it was just one of many simulations. I'm so dead set against determinism, either scientific or religious, that I'm glad the show went another direction, acknowledging free will. Agreed. Yeah. I think that's interesting. We didn't really talk about the universe the whole universe being simulated as maybe a way to look at. Yeah. Um, I guess that kind of fits with the ending because in the ending, we know that they're in a simulation of sorts, but also how do we like, what is in a simulation? Right. I mean, I guess it's weird that like, if this world that we're the world that we were originally watching was a simulation, it's weird that they would, like, figure out how to create a simulation within a simulation. hmm Yeah. So that yeah. would be my only, like, argument against it would be that, like, if they hadn't figured it out yet, then how could it exist? Because they had figured it out, and then they figured it out again. <laughs> uh, I can't. <laughs> I feel like my mind well. has already been blown enough that I don't know okay. if I can even handle putting in another theory of what happened. <laughs> and this is why there won't be a second season. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. Uh, but we'll watch the Alex next Alex Garland joint, whatever that is. Yes. We loved we loved this. We just are glad that it stopped when it yeah. was supposed Waiting to. Waiting for him to announce <laughs> his next project. Let us I know, read. Alex. 
the next one. Okay, Mary. This is from Justin. Oh, who's from he? From Birmingham. Who? Oh, he was in Birmingham. Susan, that's where you live. That's so crazy. Oh, do you wait. Know him? Do you think? Do we live Could together? Be? I live with that guy. We're do the only him? two humans the other one has seen. Is that that yes, guy that you married? You might remember Justin from our episode about Dr. Sleep. And from being married to Susan. And from being married to Susan. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he too says, watched this in one sitting with me. <laughs> yes. nice. Justin says, I liked this series. First of all, how can you go wrong with Nick Offerman? One of the best. I agree. That's true. I really like seeing him in a more serious role. I think the plot and the storyline came together just the way you'd want a sci-fi thriller to come together. All that to say, I wasn't disappointed. With all the content out these days, it's easy to have a good idea and let it flop. I'm more of a futuristic sci-fi fan, and this delivered in a way that's not out of the realm of possibilities. All the characters come together really well. It almost reminded me of a Black Mirror episode. Would absolutely recommend this to anyone. I feel it should also be noted that I watched this entire thing in one sitting. LOL. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't need to tell you that, because he was going to do or, it. Spoiler, he also watched it. Yeah. So, he sent me so this like crazy. right before so yeah. totally agree about nick offerman being in a more serious role because i feel like yes. we don't get that often and it's nice to see and he did a i've really never good seen it and it surprised me in a good way he yeah. is a very good actor i mean i think comedy is pretty hard anyway mm-hmm. yeah i think but... often comedic actors end up being skilled like dramatic actors for sure and it does remind me of a black mirror episode but like a Just good sort one. of extended <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, I I have recommended this to like so many people, mm-hmm. and also like a lot of friends that have watched it. Like everyone I know who's watched it has loved it. So if you haven't checked it out yet, definitely definitely watch Devs. It's on Hulu. All yeah. of it is streaming now. It's only eight episodes, and then listen to our episode. And if you want to write us some feedback about it later, we'll still read it because we're like that. We would sure will. What's on the block? <laughs> well, I've been rewatching the Tudors. Uh, not for the first, this isn't my first rewatch, but it is my first rewatch while being totally isolated from the rest of the world. So, <laughs> and not the last. <laughs> it's, it's probably not. <laughs> Once I get out of the house, I'll watch it again and see if I find new things. Um, uh, you anyway, should. Anyway, I wrote should. about that. Experience. You should write about it again because now I'm rewatching it. (laughs) Well, I will write about it again. I'm just now. I always have to take a a little break after Anne Boleyn's. I just thought of the best blog idea for the Tudors. We should rate the top ten sex scenes. Okay. (laughs) In the Tudors. Into it. Um, Two of them just popped in my head. So. Yes, same here. I wonder if any of them are the same, but we're going to wait and show you that later. Speaking of television shows, there's a lot of TV on the blog right now. We just don't have very much else to do. We've been watching a lot of television. Uh, Janet and I both watched Little Fires Everywhere. We had one blog post about it, but we weren't done. On the second blog post, post, we focused more on the um, 90s setting and the pop culture references, um, which were super cool. And uh, we got we get a little personal about which one spoke to us because, you know, we were both alive in the 90s. Um, and, uh, yeah. Susan, you've got another one here. We kind of went back and forth for some reason. <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. Um, I also, speaking of more documentaries, I've been watching a lot of them lately, but I watched this new one called The House in Between about a haunted house in Mississippi. Uh, it's cooler than that description just sounded like, though. So I want to watch it. Now. Uh, that sounds really cool to me, so I'm watching it. Yeah, it's good. There's a. It's been like a 10-year investigation of this house, so there's a lot of footage of it and interesting evidence and it's it's only like 80 minutes long so it's a tight 80 so it's a tight 81 minutes <laughs> um uh speaking of television uh ben and i are watching tales from the loop and mary i think you're watching it too aren't you? i haven't started it yet i want to finish oh, the great first oh gosh i've finished that so fast so good um Okay, real fast aside, The Great is, like, so good I can't even write about it because I just, like, gush about how much I love it. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to write about Tales from the Loop instead because I feel like I have some critiques and some thoughts. It's a really great show overall. It's very depressing for me. I don't know, like, just puts me in a really bad mood after I finish every episode. But, um... Love it. I, Sounds great. I keep watching anyway, but I'm going to rank the episodes of Tales from the Loop because they're all little um, linked stories. And uh, yeah, that's on Amazon if you want to check it out and cry. Also, it's time for YA Book Club! <laughs> yeah. This month we're reading The Kingdom of Back by Marie Lu. You might remember we talked about Marie Lu's novel War Cross in a previous YA Book Club She's got a new novel out, and we are... This is nothing like Warcross. It's nothing, about, it's nothing no. like Warcross. This is more of a fantasy novel, and it's also about Mozart and his sisters. <laughs> so down. There's a lot going yes. on in this novel. I'm almost done yeah. with it. Well, we will be talking about it soon, and it will probably be up by the time this episode is out. I need to check the calendar. If not, it'll be up very soon. Within... within Seconds. You know what is up? Listen to your heart. The finale. <laughs> the final episode. The final up. Who will win? Mary, who will win? If you watched, you know. If not, don't watch. Just read our recap. Yeah, it's I didn't fine. watch, but I feel like I did because I read all the recaps. And I there was a moment uh, earlier this week when Ty was like, what if we listened to the winner's new album? And I was like, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I've been meaning to. I just feel like it's going to be very Christian. I think it's going to be like a lot of soft, boring ballads. Yeah. But I mean, maybe it, what if it's great? Yeah. You never know. It could be. You never know. I also have written something for the blog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you? Yep. Cool. And it's a secret. It's, Check it it's out. <laughs> if that appeals to you, <laughs> you can visit bookswagold.com. Even to myself at the time of this recording. <laughs> On our next episode, <laughs> we are reading Mostly Dead Things by Kristen Arnett. This episode will be coming out June 15th. This is my pick. It is about Florida. It is about taxidermy. It is about lesbians mm -hmm. or queer people. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, As is tradition. You know, we don't like know what we're calm, talking about. Calm, <laughs> Definitely read it 
and then listen to our episode when it comes out in two weeks. What's our next other soda, Emily? Oh, yes, it's me. Okay, so we literally decided this earlier today. So, <laughs> um, But there is, you know, there aren't a lot of movies coming out right now, but this is actually one we're pretty excited about. It's a movie called Shirley. Um, it's not about... Uh, I'm trying Shirley to think of Tem- Shirley Temple. Shirley. Yeah, it's not about Shirley Temple. Thank you. I would watch that though. Um, I love Shirley yeah, Temple. Yeah, Shirley I, McLean. I would absolutely watch that. I was uh, <laughs> I was obsessed with Shirley Temple as a little girl. Like loved those. I movies. have the anyway. I have the whole Shirley Temple collection. If you want to write about that one day. <laughs> oh my god, we should. Anyway, but no, this is about Shirley Jackson, and we have talked about Shirley Jackson on the podcast before, so this this seemed very on brand. We even had a conversation with Grady Hendrix recently about how more people need to read Shirley Jackson. So we're going to talk about this movie. It's starring Elizabeth Moss, who we also like, I think, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. And uh, yeah, Yay. maybe I'll read some more Shirley Jackson before then. But you know what? I get a little ambitious with my reading. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. No promises. Uh, If you have any comments, questions, or general feedback about this or any other episode that we have ever recorded, you can email it to BookSquad. No, to the squad at BookSquadGoals.com. Nope. (laughs) Um. Our website is booksquadgoals.com. You can go there to check out our blog or see our other podcasts. But, you know, a better way to see our podcast would be to go to your podcast app of choice, which is probably what you're listening to us on right now. Um, you should subscribe. We really would love that. We would love to have more subscribers. We would also love it if you left us a rating and review. The best place to do that would be... <sighs> on Apple Podcasts, which I know you don't want to do. I know I know that it's annoying, Sometimes and I know gotta. that it's like it feels like a whole thing, but it's actually really fast to do it, um, and we would be so grateful to you. So grateful. So please do that. Um, follow us on social media. We are at Book Squad Goals on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, yeah. Uh, we haven't solicited pictures of pets with books for a while, but we're always down for those. So yes. yeah, just know there's an open invitation. Hashtag that request never yes. expires. Yeah. Yes. Well, this has been. Would I say fun? Sh- I don't know. <laughs> Enlightening. I'm really I glad like I got to talk about it with somebody, yeah. and that I didn't have to just watch it and sit with it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for talking about this with me. Always.